Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Today, we as followers of Jesus um, uh, celebrate something we call Palm Sunday. It's the first day of Holy Week in Easter where we remember, based on the historical documents of Scripture, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, as was foretold in a prophecy that's found in two Old Testament books, Isaiah and Zechariah. Now, this event that we celebrate happened right before Jesus' crucifixion. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 9, it describes describes how the crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed him when he entered Jerusalem shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Hosanna in the Greek um, means please save us. But it's not like we're not sure if you can, so please do. It's, it's almost reinforcing what they believe about this person. Please save us. That's what Hosanna means. Now, the reason the people were welcoming Jesus saying, please save us, was because the Jewish people wanted victory over the Romans who had invaded their land. And they believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah who would achieve that for the Jews. So when the people shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were pretty much saying in their context, blessed is the one who is going to overthrow the Roman leaders, Pilate, Herod, and Caesar. He had come to save them. So that's why they said, Hosanna. This is why when Jesus entered the city, they did what was done for all victorious kings, and they created a, a carpet by putting their coats and branches on the ground to welcome him. It was much the same as we might roll out the red carpet for a celebrity, only they were doing it with palm branches. Therefore, we call today Palm Sunday. Now, it's interesting because palms symbolize for the Jewish people nationalism. And so when they welcomed Jesus with these palms, they were actually declaring war. They were declaring war against Rome. They were declaring war in which they believed Jesus would give them victory over the oppression of Rome. It was a time for the Jews to see the fulfillment of God's promise that they had been waiting for, that they would be the blessed nation no longer under the oppression of the Romans. Hosanna, save us, the king has come. Now we'll get our revenge. Check the palm leaves, Rome, because the king's coming. You're about to go down. But although the people praised Jesus with hosannas and greeted him with anxious expectation initially, it was by Friday that they would, in, they would start protesting in frustration and say, crucify him, the very same people. You see, their praise to God would very quickly turn to protest because Jesus would not work out their victory in war in the ways that they had expected him to. He often... Uh, uh, they were disappointed. It's like, oh, we thought you were coming to overthrow Rome. Oh, so much for that. There you are on the cross. Where are you? We thought you were the king. And instead of them praising and Hosanna, turned to protest in which they said, crucify. You've disappointed us. You're apparently this mighty king. We laid palm branches down. Well, you've disappointed us. And how often have we felt disappointed by God because he didn't work things out the way we expected? 
How often have we stood with the expectation of God going to do something great in our deliverance, saying Hosanna, only to find ourselves saying, thanks, God. Well, that was disappointing. From the high expectation declaration with the Hosannas on Palm Sunday, the Jews would let, uh, were let down with deep disappointment at what looked like his defeat on Friday because they didn't know that Sunday was coming. So let's read the account of Palm Sunday from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 1 to 11. It says, As the disciples and Jesus approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you at once. You'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, saying, uh, Prophets, say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Nazareth in Galilee. This is the king that's come to save us and overthrow Rome. Two lessons that we can learn about God and ourselves from this historic moment in the context I've just given you a moment ago. Firstly, sometimes we fight against an enemy God didn't come to defeat. So, so the people declared war against Rome with their palm branches and their declarations of Hosanna, expecting Jesus to lead them into a victory by toppling the Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't come to defeat the enemy they were waging war against. He came to defeat the enemy of sin that ensnares every man and woman. Jesus didn't come to defeat an enemy to prove the Jewish nation was the righteous people. He came to reconcile all mankind through his righteousness. We've got to make sure we're in the right fight. Because sometimes we fight against an enemy God didn't come to defeat. A person, a thing, a situation a group of people. This is why the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5 tells us, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now listen to the context of this idea that we wage war differently. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought to make it a be captive and we make it obedient to Christ. So, so, so the writer is saying we don't wage war like the world. Hiya. The biggest war we fight is one that involves thoughts. So when we engage in warfare, it's more often dealing with ourselves than others. As 2 Corinthians says, it's about our own thoughts that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and we take them captive unto Christ. It's putting aside our human reasoning and insecurity and trusting God's revelation over our reasoning, allowing our faith to stand over and above our fear. 
That's the greatest war we will fight. We don't fight war like the world. Now, this was not the way the Jewish people understood Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. They were using their human reasoning to wage war against their physical oppressors, Rome. And it meant that they were fighting an enemy that Jesus hadn't come to defeat. Well, of course you're going to be disappointed if the enemy you're trying to defeat is one that Christ isn't interested in. We are to wage war from our revelation of God's word, not our human reasoning. That is where our warfare comes from. It's not about how you feel or what you think of someone. It's what God, God's word says about who they are and how you should respond. That's your warfare. It's not proving that you're right. It's loving like Jesus so that you reconcile. If we wage war from our human reasoning, then we will begin demonizing people. It will become someone or something in the name of Jesus. I bind you. I bind them. If we wage war from our human reasoning, then we will begin demonizing people the way the Jews did to the Romans, Romans, or the way that the Nazis did to the Jews. And then we see how the story ends. But if we fight from revelation, it will always lead to reconciliation. The greatest warfare you will engage in is with yourself your insecurities, your human reasoning versus God's revelation, and God's ways versus your human expectation. The greatest warfare you will engage in is not with others, it's with yourself. These Jewish people who initially welcomed the king with hosannas then crucified Jesus because when he didn't give them the victory in their hands the way they expected, all they were left with was the self-centered drive of their hearts. Their lips said hosanna while their hearts said crucify. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus speaks in the context of the Pharisees, but it's, it's into the same principle, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The hearts of the Jewish people were revealed by their almost schizophrenic, schizophrenic response to Jesus, one day singing Hosanna, and the next day crucify. This principle played out on Palm Sunday, so the people honored Jesus with their lips, but their later calls for his crucifixion revealed the true conditions of their hearts. This is why the wisdom book of Proverbs chapter 4.23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do will flow from it. The Jewish people's greatest enemy was the condition of their own hearts, not their Roman oppressors. Our spiritual warfare is about who we are becoming as a person not about other people. And its outcome is always reconciliation, not proving who's right. One of the early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, said something that I often refer to when speaking with people. He said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. We've got to make sure we're in the right fight because sometimes we fight against an enemy God didn't come to defeat.
The second thing we can learn through this moment in Palm Sunday and in our understanding of the context is that God's always communing with us in our struggles, but we're not always able to comprehend His works. He's always communing in our struggles. God, where are you? I thought you would have come through for me. Where are you? You clearly aren't here. God's always communing in our struggles. It's us that can't always comprehend His ways. Was God with those Jewish people when they sung Hosanna? Yes. Was God present with those people on his way to defeat death and reconcile them in the crucifixion? Yes. The issue was not that he wasn't communing and communicating his presence and power as promised to the Jewish people. It's that they couldn't comprehend it. How could a king so powerful defeat the enemy through crucifixion and death? How was death going to be the doorway to their deliverance? If this truly was the great king, they had lain palm branches down for. The people were disappointed because their expectations of the way victorious wars were won were not met by the king that they had put their trust in. When God seems to disappoint us, it's not communicating that he's absent in our suffering or hasn't given us victory. It's because we can't comprehend his ways of working in warfare. It's not because he's not communing with us It's because we can't comprehend his ways in warfare. God communicated his love for us by becoming human. During those moments in history that we read from the gospels around the people's response to his humanity, many pushed him away because they could not comprehend God in flesh. He was too natural to be supernatural too human to be divine. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 37, the people in that moment, some of whom would have been cheering him on as king with the words Hosanna just a few days before, now stood in the presence of Jesus as he communed with them while he hung on the cross. And and instead of believing he was the sovereign supernatural king, they, they began to question whether he could work in their ways so that they could make sense of this king winning them a war. And they say, if you are the king of the Jews while he's hanging on the cross, then save yourself. We sang Hosanna because we believed you were gonna save us. Well, God, is it really you with us? Because when I look at this man, it doesn't feel like God communing with me and leading me into victory. It feels like the disappointment of a man that claimed to be something he's not, who's busy being defeated. So, so Jesus, if you really are the king, which we cheered for on Palm Sunday, prove it to us by working in our ways and save yourself. God was so close to them in that moment, but they couldn't comprehend how this was God working because their ways would have looked different. They wanted Jesus to prove he was God by working their way, saving himself from the cross, just like the Jews in Jerusalem expected God to win the war by toppling the Roman Empire. Do something our way to prove to us that you're communing with us. Because right now, all this is communicating is that you are destroyed, defeated, and not who you say you are. God, I trusted you so much. 
God, you said in your word, you, is, you are this in my life, so why am I experiencing this? God, I don't get how this can be victory because when I look at my life now, it feels like I'm standing in the darkness of crucifixion. Where's the deliverance you promised? God doesn't work the same way we do in our warfare. Sometimes we can think he's not communing when in fact it's just us that cannot comprehend his ways. The reality is that God's always communing with us in our struggles, but we don't always comprehend. And this is where we learn to trust who he is when we don't understand how he works. See, while the people taunted Jesus as he hung on the cross by saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. (laughs) Just, Just think about this. Little did they know that he was busy saving them. (laughs) Oh, well, God, like, shot. You didn't come through for me. I needed your deliverance. What if he's in the process of our deliverance in ways that we don't understand in warfare? Where we question God's presence in our suffering may be the very place in which he's most actively working. We just can't comprehend his ways. On Palm Sunday, those that ushered in the king of kings as he arrived on a donkey were fighting the Roman enemy that Jesus didn't come to defeat. And they assumed that he ultimately wasn't God communing with them in their oppression because they couldn't comprehend his victorious kingship in the process of crucifixion. The Jews were left disappointed while God was actually in the process of finalizing their deliverance. God, I'm disappointed. I feel let down by you. He's like, my child, you might not see what I am doing now because my ways are not your ways. But where you are disappointed, I'm actually in the process of finalizing your deliverance. And so as we land today for Palm Sunday, I want to leave you with, with, with a question. Think about those Jews on that day when he entered Jerusalem, the initial expectation and the guess that God was going to do something for them. And then the process of feeling disappointed by the king they believed in that ended up looking defeated on the crucifix because they didn't recognize that Sunday was coming. And, and I ask you this, where in your life have the palm branches of expectation in God's deliverance left you disappointed? Where didn't he seem to give you the victory over those that you thought were your enemy? Where did he seem absent in an area of oppression? Where did you start with trust? It's a space now left with palm branches that are old, Reminding you of a time where it seems that your Savior let you down. Because it's quite possible that you've been fighting a battle Jesus didn't come to win. That you've assumed that God's not communing with you in your struggles when in fact it's you who can't comprehend the ways of the Creator. Today we know that although the Jews' expectation of victory was crushed at the crucifixion on Friday, Sunday was coming. 
When we read of their disappointment, looking at their Savior crushed at the crucifixion on Friday, we read it with a different context because we're not stuck in the chapter still having to write the next that speaks about resurrection. We know that Sunday was coming. And, And as followers of Jesus, we live in the context of Sunday's resurrection today. And that means... No matter how many disappointing Fridays we face, Sunday is always coming. No matter how many disappointing Fridays we face, Sunday is always coming. I'm sitting in the middle of the fear of a crucifixion Friday in my personal life. I don't feel God's communing with me. I don't feel that he's working in the ways that make sense to me. I want to give up, but I recognize that I don't need to because even though I'm in a Friday, Sunday is coming. 